is Sean. I'm a lead pastor here at Grace Church. Uh, this weekend uh, on Palm Sunday, we're wrapping up uh, this series, Neighborhood Watch, where we've been talking about our responsibility to care for, be mindful of other people around us, to think about people the way that God thinks about people. And today, we're also talking about our, like our, our hope, our biggest dream for the people that live around us, the people that are in our family, uh, those who are disconnected from God, our best friends, our neighbors, co-workers, teammates, uh, that, that type of stuff. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to be in Matthew. We're going to go to that in just a minute. Um, how many of you guys have ever joined something and found out that there were rules on the back end that they didn't tell you that if they had told you on the front end, you might not have signed up to be in this? Anybody? Anybody, anybody remember the CD? You could get like 10 CDs for free uh, back, in the, back, in the, back in the 80s and 90s. Anybody ever signed up for a CD club? Yeah, who got sucked into that scam? Still paying off Rick Astley and all those other albums. I'm, I'm not actually, I'm like you get those 10 for a penny, right? 10 for a penny, and then you got to buy, it looks like then you only have to buy one more, but like in fine print, it says one more every month, or maybe you transferred your debt onto a new credit card that said 0% interest on, on transferred debt, and in the fine print, it says that if you're late even one time on a payment, it jumps up to like 17.9%. Anybody ever have that happen? Don't raise your hand on that. Don't want to know if you're revolving debt playing that little shell game. We, we hate fine print. I, I hate it. I hate signing up for something and then finding out later on. I signed up for a, uh, a sports enthusiast club and then found out that there were three work days a year that I was obligated to go to. It was so frustrating. I, I like bailed on my membership, let them keep my $170, and I joined another club just because I didn't like that they didn't tell me that on the front end. Like I, I hate being, I feel like I'm tricked. Like if they'd have told me up front, maybe I'd have been totally fine with it. But I, I hate when, when there's, there's like conditions and agendas and, and like, like, like things about this that they, they keep hidden until after you're in. And then it's kind of like, ha ha, we got you sucker, right? Like I, I hate that thing. And, and I don't know if religion has ever felt that way to you or not. Maybe you joined a church or you were part of a church and then you found out things about that that were kind of like everybody kind of knew but nobody like told you about or like I, I don't know your religious experience with that kind of thing at all but what I really appreciate most about Jesus is that he told all of his disciples everything like he was he was an open book he laid all of his cards out on the table he says I'm going to tell you guys up front where all of this is going and if this hasn't been shared with you before I think it's important for you to know that God actually has an agenda for every single person in this room if you're disconnected from God, God's agenda for you is that you would someday repent of your personal disobedience towards God and his commandments, your selfishness towards others, that you would accept Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection as the only thing that pays off your debt, that you would repent of that sin. God, I'm sorry. Help me to follow you, Jesus, with the rest of my life, be adopted into God's family. But that's just the beginning of his agenda. Like that's like, that's the starting place. It's not like the goal. That's like when the game starts. Like that's when, that's when everything begins. Jesus compared it to uh, like a human baby that's born. We're spiritually born. So getting somebody to birth isn't the whole goal of their life. That's just the start of their whole life. But once you're born into God's family, there's something he intends to do with you. And that's what we're going to look at today. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 4. Uh, that's where we're at, Matthew chapter 4. 
And I'm going to start reading in verse 18. At this point, Jesus has no disciples. In Matthew chapter 4, there's just Jesus. There ain't no 12 disciples. There ain't Peter, James, and John in a sailboat. Actually, you got, you got Peter and Andrew in a boat. And that's where we start off in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Here's what it says. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter. Like, you could be an eighth. How many of us have heard of Peter? Raise your hand if you know who Peter is. Okay, you might, who did anybody finding out for the first time his first name is, actually his given name was Simon. Does anybody, Simon Peter is his name, probably most people know that, but he had a brother whose name was Andrew. So Peter and Andrew, they get signed up to be followers of Jesus on the same day at the same time, and this is the conversation where it happens. Uh, he sees them, two brothers, Simon also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living, they were fishermen. Uh, there are two other disciples. Uh, we find out in another story where Jesus comes to Peter and Andrew and they're fishing. They'd been fishing all night long, didn't catch anything. It's a really cool story. Jesus said, do you guys catch anything? They said, no. And he said, uh, well, throw, it, throw the nets on the other side of the boat. Like, you don't think we tried that? <laughs> you're not even, you're a carpenter. What do you know about fishing? Um, but they did what he said. And when they did what he said, their nets got so full. They called their buddies, James and John. And we found out that they're the sons of Zebedee. And like the, the meaning of the word Zebedee is sons of thunder, which meant that their dad had a really loud, dad liked to yell a lot. That's James and John. Anyway, there we get Peter, James, and John in the sailboat. You might have heard that little Sunday school song or whatever, but that's, that's where it comes from. So four of the 12 disciples were fishermen. The first two that start following Jesus are Simon, Peter, and Andrew. Uh, they're throwing their net uh, in the water for they, were fi they fish for a living. Jesus called out to them and he said, and this is the entire Christian message. This is the whole Christian agenda in a nutshell. It says, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. That, that, that right there, that's a microcosm. That's like the nutshell. That's like the, uh, the whole kit and caboodle, right? Like, I love that. Somebody needs to find out where that word caboodle comes from. But we've heard that phrase before, right? Kit and caboodle. Who's never heard of kit and caboodle? The whole kit and caboodle, it means nutshell. Should have just stuck with nutshell, would have been less confusing. Um, but the whole, the whole nutshell of the Christian story, and that's that Jesus comes to us exactly where we're at, and maybe you've had some type of a spiritual intervention at some point in your life where you're sitting in a service, and maybe the person that you came with didn't get anything out of the sermon at all, but you were wrecked by it. What was the difference? Well, that was, that was Jesus coming to you while you were, right, throwing, like, you just where you're at, doing what you're doing, and God grabs your attention, and, and he, you know, wrecks you on the inside and gives you an opportunity to, to be changed. And what I, what I love most, not most, there's a lot of things that I love most about it, right? So, like, it's like I've got, like, ten favorite things. So, I, I know that that defeats the purpose of, like, having more than one best friend. Anyway, it doesn't matter. My, my point, sorry, I have ADHD really bad. And I'm refusing to go on medication for it. I'm afraid it'll change my personality and people won't know who I am anymore. Um, anyway, my wife says, but it might keep you from oversharing. That might be a good thing for our family and maybe even good for our marriage. So uh, anyway, oh, crud, where was I at? A uh, whole kit and caboodle. Right. So what I, what I, one of the 30 things I love most about, about Jesus is that you don't have to clean yourself up before he comes to you. I love that. Like they, they're fishing. Like they're in the middle of work. They stink. They smell like fish. Like none of them knew they were going to meet the son of God that day or they probably would have taken the day off. Right? Like if you knew you were going to meet, like if, if Joe Biden was just going to knock on your door today, uh, you'd probably clean up the house yesterday. Am I right? 
Like you, like I don't, don't forget, I should have, I used somebody else, I don't, like half the room I just lost you on that, and the other half were like, yes, and the other half, and I'm not telling you which is which half, because I can tell on your faces which half is which, um, doesn't matter, my point is, pick your favorite person if they, if, that you don't know, if they showed up, and you didn't know it, or if you knew it, you'd been more prepared, and, and what I love is that, like God will intersect with your life at a point when you're, you're not necessarily ready for it. And, and you don't have to go home and change your clothes and take a shower and you know, get your life right and, and fix your marriage and get out of debt before God will love you. Like he loves you stinky smelling like fist just like you are. But he's going to tell you to do the exact same thing he told them. The exact same thing. God will come to you the way you are, as messy as you are, with your life completely wrecked or your heart completely broken, but he's going to tell you to do the same thing. He's going to tell you to let go of that and come follow me, right? So that's, there's a letting go. They left their nets. There's a letting go of my identity, who I was before Jesus. And I don't know how you primarily identify, but those of us who become devoted followers of Jesus, we identify first as a follower of Jesus and all other identities, ethnic or sexual or political, all other identities are lived out through this one identity. Me being a devoted follower of Jesus shapes how I live out all other expressions of who I am. That's what it looks like to be a devoted follower of Jesus. And then God says, but now I'm going to do something. You're going to follow me. You're going to, you're going to let go of that to come to me. Then you're going to learn to follow me. Because as you learn to follow me, I'm going to teach you to do something. I'm going to teach you how to become a fisher of men. That's the end game. Like God has an end game. And it's not just that you would turn from your sins to be saved so that you can go to heaven someday when you die. Like God's got a whole lot of other things planned for you between this day and that day. And there's two parts to it. One is that you would learn to follow and obey his teachings, and ultimately that you would begin to become somebody that you weren't before, somebody who actually helps other people be rescued from their brokenness and sin also and be made right with God through faith in Jesus. That's God's end game. The end goal of our faith is the inclusion of those who aren't in it yet. Early on in the story of our church, we were less than a year old. We had about 50 people and had a girl. We were at the Holiday Inn in Brockton at the Westgate Mall uh, next to Dick's. Does anybody know where that Holiday Inn is? That's where Grace Church got started. Uh, we were there for a year. There were about 50 of us. And this girl came up to us, came up to me after the service. She says, hey, I just feel like I need to let you know that I'm leaving our church. And I said, okay. It's like 2% of our whole congregation dropped in one day. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> our church was so small at that point, everybody who was a member of our church was in my cell phone. Like, that's, that's how, right? We, everybody knew everybody. We knew everybody's birthdays. It was just 50 of us, and she's leaving. That was, like, that was like really traumatic, and I said, why? And she said, I feel like our church is too focused on people who aren't Christians yet or on baby Christians, and I'm more mature than that. And my thought was, I don't think you're as mature as you think you are. Because the closer you get to Jesus, the more compassion you have for those who are farthest from him. Like I can measure your spiritual maturity, not by how many Bible answers you can answer on a Bible test, but on how you love and treat those who don't read it, right? 
If you look at Jesus, his entire life, he was accused of being a drunkard. Because he was ever drunk? No, because the Bible clearly says that being, being drunk is a sin. They called him a drunkard because he hung out with people who were. They had a problem that Jesus was a friend of publicans, sinners. He hung out with prostitutes. He went to, to <laughs> this is going to sound really bad. Like he just hung out with people that religious people wouldn't be caught dead with. Right? Luke chapter 15 verse 2. It says he even eats with them. Like they didn't mind if Jesus hung out with pagans, right? With the sexually immoral, with the reprobate, with the broken, with the addict. He didn't care if they, he, they didn't care if he hung out with them because he was giving them a religious pamphlet or he was telling them to repent of their sins, but he's just eating with them as though he likes them. Like that, that's what they had a problem with. Like you actually act as though you're okay with who they are and that therefore you can't be from God. In Luke chapter 15, it says, then Jesus told them this story. He gives them the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal son, the lost son. Prodigal son's a famous phrase. You don't even have to be religious to be familiar with that term. But all three of those stories have one thing in common, and that's that the lostness of the item never affected its value to the person who had lost it. And your distance from God has never affected your value to God. And I don't know that religion has taught you that. Like we feel that the more bad we are, the more unloved by God we are. But Jesus was constantly saying that your distance from me has never affected your value to me. And so when he tells the disciples on day one, I want you to change how you see who you are. I want you to follow me. And as you leave your old life behind, you learn to follow me. I'm going to help you become somebody that you aren't right now. And the person you're going to become is somebody who's focused on everybody else who's still outside of faith. That's not the job of preachers. That's the job of Christians. Preachers aren't the ones who are supposed to love people who are far from God. Christians are supposed to love people who are far from God. And I don't know why it's so difficult for us to do this. Um, four times after Jesus resurrected from the dead until he ascended into heaven. It's just 40 days there. By the way, we have more. We have like five times more information about the week leading up to the, the crucifixion of Jesus than we do the six weeks after the resurrection of Jesus. But in those six weeks, there's like six or seven different conversations that we have. In, in, th in, in three of those, that's what I was about to do. In three of those conversations, he tells them, he reminds them of what he said was most important at the very beginning. That they would go fish for people who are far from him. That their focus should be those who are outside of faith. Three different times. Now listen, anytime my dad ever repeated himself, I knew he meant it. Right? If your dad says do something, you do it. And if you don't do it, he tells you to do it one more time. If there's a third time he tells you, he tells you with physical objects. That's what he does, right? Grabs his belt. Like if there's a third time, you don't want there to be a third time. So when, when anybody repeats themselves to you, it's important. Three different times. And then even as Jesus is ascending into heaven, like he's already told them. And by the way, I, I used to think that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke where it has Jesus' last words to his disciples. I, that's what I always said. It was Jesus' last words. I thought it was three different descriptions of 
the same conversation that Jesus had with his disciples, but that's actually not the way it goes. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus tells them that they are to go into all of the world and help everybody turn from sin to become a follower of Jesus. He tells them that on the day he's resurrected. In, in Matthew chapter 28, he tells them on a mountain the same thing, that they're to go into all of the world and make disciples, help those disciples to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then to teach them all the things that I've taught you. And what I've taught you to do is to go into all of the world and make disciples. He tells them that on the day he's resurrected in the upper room. He tells them that in Matthew chapter 28 on a mountain in Galilee. And in Luke chapter 4, he tells them that on the road, once he gets uh, to Emmaus with two different disciples. That, and that's a different story. My point is, is that it's three different times that Jesus says this. And then the fourth time is, as it's the only thing he repeated four times, is that the whole mission of your faith is the inclusion of those who don't share your faith. That's the whole point. God saved you from sin, not just to take you to heaven when you die, but so that everyone that you're close to has the opportunity to be rescued from their sin. That's the whole point from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, all the way to the end of Revelations. The entire Bible is a rescue story of God trying to rescue us from the way that we have screwed up all of this. God isn't up in heaven winding us up like little toy soldiers watching us bump into each other. He's actively involved trying to rescue every single one of us. But he doesn't do it from Washington, D.C. He does it from one person who loves another person who's far from God and serves them, is compassionate towards them and forgives them and helps them and loves them until they get the opportunity to talk to them about how they've been changed from the inside out. God changes everything not through legislation, but from the heart. And you and I both know that the most effective way to change is when we change on the inside, not from the outside. And that's God's agenda from the very beginning. And I think it's difficult for us because we're afraid we're not going to have the right words to say. We're awkward in talking to other people about our faith because we're afraid they're going to reject us. Or I can think of another reason why we don't talk to people about our faith, and, and that's because we just, we just don't care anymore. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to help you on that third one this morning. So maybe if you blocked out the rest of the teaching today, then maybe your prayer at the end of the teaching would just be, God, I don't care anymore, but at least I care that I don't care. Have you ever been at that place where your heart's not right? See, I don't need to, I don't need to be told when I'm, my heart's not right with God. Like, I, I can tell my life isn't right with God right now, right? Like, I don't, I don't need somebody else to tell me that my heart's gotten sideways. Um, so I, I know that. My problem, though, is that sometimes I know my life's not right with God, and I just don't care anymore. But because I am a follower of Jesus and God's Holy Spirit is in me, it at least bothers me that it doesn't bother me anymore. Does that make sense? Has anybody else ever felt that way? Your life wasn't right with God and you didn't care. But then there was a little piece of you that was worried about yourself because you didn't care anymore. And if that's where you're at, then your prayer would just be, God, make me care again. Just make me care. That'd be awesome. But for those first two, I think we're going to look at Jesus' conversation with his disciples in Matthew chapter 28. So if you've got your Bible, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Remember, the first time Jesus tells his disciples this is on the day that he resurrected. It's on, it's on Easter Sunday. What we celebrate is Easter. They didn't call it that. It was just the Sunday after Passover. Um, that's all that was for them. 
Um, and then, and then, he, then he tells them this time uh, in Galilee. Now, Jesus was in Jerusalem, and he told his disciples uh, to meet him in Galilee. And so the disciples, they leave, and they head up to Galilee. So that's a, a few days' journey. They're, they're walking from Jerusalem all the way up to the Sea of Galilee. Uh, then the 11 disciples left for Galilee. They left Jerusalem in, in the context of the verse of the chapter, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So Jesus tells them, I want you guys to go meet me in Galilee and meet me at this mountain. So they, they leave and do it. And you know what? The Bible doesn't say that they even asked why they had to do this and why they, they, there were no questions because when Jesus said it, they did it. And that's one of the, that's one of the markers of a, of a devoted follower of Jesus is that they don't have to be talked into doing the things that God says in the scriptures. They're intrinsically motivated to do this. Um, if you've ever had somebody do something really nice for you, like, like sacrificially nice, like, like crazy generous, it changes the way you feel about that person, and you start doing kind things for them, not because you have to or to pay them back, because, but because the gratitude in your heart motivates you to treat them differently. And those of us who do recognize that what we really do deserve from God is, is punishment for the sins, the, way, the many, 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 many different times that we've broken the commandments, and how selfish we are towards other people, and the mean things we've thought about other people in our heart. And when I know that I stand before God completely exposed for all of my real motivations, for even the nice stuff that I did to be seen by other people and be thought of as a nice person, right? When I stand before God and I'm completely exposed, I'm going to have to tell him I'm guilty. And if God is good, then he can't let the guilty person go free. I deserve to pay for my sins against the holy and righteous God. But when I recognize that Jesus has no sins for him to pay for of his own, it makes him an innocent, the only person who's innocent, who could take the place of somebody who's guilty. And when I recognize that Jesus is the one who paid for every stupid thing I've ever done so that I could be declared innocent, not because I am, but because my sins have already been paid for by Jesus, I become a free man from my sin. That changes the way I feel about God. And I'm completely intrinsically motivated to just do what God said. If you don't have that intrinsic motivation, then you might be missing something on the inside, and that might be the reason why God brought you today. This would be your, I'm just fishing with my nets, I showed up because it's Palm Sunday, but then Jesus walks over to your boat, and he goes, but I wanted you in this boat with me, right? So maybe that's what he's trying to do. Uh, and that's what they were doing. They just did whatever he asked them to do. John chapter 14, verse 15 says, uh, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And it's just true. If you love God, you'll do what he says. If you don't do what he says, it's because you don't love God. You love you. I mean, we all struggle with this. And Jesus is just openly talking about it. Matthew chapter 26, verse 18. This is Jesus, and this is Jesus telling his disciples. This is one, this is the second of the three different times. And by the way, as he's ascending into heaven, he says, now, the, now I want you to wait in Jerusalem, right? He's ascending into heaven, and he's like, wait for the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's going to give you power to tell everybody. Like, as he's leaving, he's like, don't forget, I told you to be a witness of me, right? Like, it's, like, it's, like, he just, this is the thing. This is the most important thing for Christians to remember about them being rescued from their sin, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, I've been given authority, all authority in heaven and on earth. And I, I love that. And it's meaningful. And we're going to talk about this in just a minute. That Jesus says to his disciples, now that he's resurrected from the dead, I am in charge in heaven. And I am in charge on earth. 
That doesn't mean that everything happens on earth is from God, but nothing that will ever happen on earth will wreck what God's trying to do in the world. I own this joint. I own heaven. I own earth. I am the man. I got this. I got you. I got heaven. I got all of this. Fellas, you don't have to be afraid anymore because I got this. All authority in heaven is mine. I'm the boss there. All authority on earth is mine. I'm the boss here. All this stuff, all of it, it's mine. I got this. I got you. You don't have to be afraid anymore. Nothing's going to happen to you that I didn't see coming and already written into the story. I got this. I got you. Therefore, the next verse says, therefore, therefore, that phrase, everything that comes after therefore, is based on everything that was said in front of therefore. Because I own this joint. Because I am in charge. Therefore, because of that, here's what you now should do. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's why we, every time we do baptism, we're doing one again two weeks from today. Uh, right over here, there'll be a little dunk tank. Dunk tank. It's, we've, we have a little portable heater for it. It's a, portable, it's a portable hot tub. It's just got no bubbles. And if you see bubbles, get out of the hot tub because those, <laughs> those bubbles were intrinsically motivated. That was inappropriate. Go and make disciples. You make disciples of people that weren't disciples before. That's what he told them. The very first thing Jesus ever said was, come follow me and I'll help you fish for people. And the very last thing he ever said, now get your butt out there and do it. Do this. This is what I told you to do. Go into all of the world and make disciples of all nations. It's no longer exclusive to just the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Everybody's included now, everywhere, all languages, all colors, all shades of melanin, everything, every continent, like ev everybody, everybody is included. Go. Then once they become my disciple, baptize them. That's why we don't baptize babies, because according to Jesus, you only baptize somebody who's chosen to become a disciple. Not throwing rocks in any churches that do. They're just talking about their intention to raise their kids to become devoted followers of Jesus. That was your mom and dad's faith. And some of you guys were baptized as little kids. And that had nothing to do with your faith. That had everything to do with whose faith? Theirs. Well, how long are you going to live on borrowed faith? Like at some point, this should become your own faith, right? And that's when you get the opportunity to be baptized in two weeks. But that's what Jesus said. Make a disciple. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and then the Holy Spirit. And then, and then teach them all the stuff that I taught you. Which includes what? Going back out. And making disciples of everybody else. See, here's the thing. You have friends that are spiritually disconnected that don't give a rat's butt what I have to say. You know why? They don't know me. And because they don't know me, they don't care. And if, they, and if I met them, they wouldn't trust me. But guess who they love and trust? You. 
Some of us have been praying for people that we love and care about to know, God, send somebody to help my best friend commit to becoming a devoted follower of Jesus, rescue them from their sin so that they can know and to follow you also, Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with praying that. We need to keep praying that because God has been given all, Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. He can make, he can change their heart. He can save them from their sin. He can create an opportunity for you to talk to them. All authority belongs to Jesus. He can do that, right? And there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with praying that. But God already started answering that prayer when he brought you into their life. And I think you think it's my job. But it's our job. This is, this is what we as a church are here for. Is there a few of you guys who know the people I'm praying for? And you're praying with me for them. And truthfully, you're also praying for me when I get a chance to talk to them or they bring up a question about religion. I get just as afraid to talk about religion with my friends as you do. You think it's easy up here because you came to hear me talk about religion. But when I'm at Little League at the Coles Field for Soccer in Stoughton, nobody came to Coles Field for Soccer to hear the preacher talk about Jesus. So it's just as awkward for me and I don't just... I just carry a sign that says everybody's going to go to hell. That's all I do. <laughs> I don't do that. It's a placard. But all authority has been given on, on heaven and on earth. It's been given to Jesus. He has the power to give eternal life to every person who calls out to be saved. He has the power to soften any person's heart. He has the power to initiate a conversation between you and the person that you've been praying for for years. He has the power to give you the words to say. Saving people from sin isn't your job. It's Jesus' job. It's a God job, not a Sean job. And I need to remember that. My goal isn't to save my neighbors. My goal is to be a godly neighbor to my neighbors. And over the course of time, and this is true, most of my neighbors that I've become friends with, close friends, have brought up religion because everybody talks about religion. Everybody, not all the time, but everybody talks about religion sometimes. It's just that nobody wants to talk about religion to somebody that they aren't cool with. My job is just to be the person that my neighbors are cool with. <laughs> Almost like I said, I, anybody think of cool whip when I said that? And they thought of Stewie, cool whip, right? That was a weird reference, but I have ADHD and I had to say it or else I couldn't think about the rest of the talk. But as we began to be friends with all of our actual neighbors and started spending time with them and doing barbecues in each other's yard and Glenn and Tiffany moved across the street a few months after we bought our house on Seaver Street and Calvin came over in the very first conversation, shared like some, some inappropriate things and it was like that sounded worse than what it actually is and it was just funny stuff, and it endeared us to the Middletons. We became close friends, and then they had a friend who attempted suicide, and I wasn't a pastor. I was a professor at a college, so I'm, I, she didn't come and talk to me because I was a preacher, because I wasn't. I just a teacher at a school, but she knew I was a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and she knew that, not because of the religious pamphlets I would stick on her door in the middle of the night and run and hide, <laughs> but she did that because she knew that because on Sunday mornings, we were always getting in our car. And we'd be gone in the morning, we'd come back after lunch. So you just kind of know, and she liked us. And we, she's, her and Glenn are some of our closest friends in the entire world. So when her friend attempted suicide, 
she told her friend, what you really need is God, and my neighbor knows him. I'll be right back. And that, that wasn't Sean the preacher. That was Sean the school teacher. That's all I was, right? But that's what we do. We can step into these moments without being afraid because all authority in heaven and on earth is given to Jesus. And so I can trust that when my friend brings up religion, that God is the one that put it in her heart, whether she knows it or not, to talk to me about this. And because it's me she's talking to, I can also trust that God knew that I know enough to help her. I don't know all the answers to all of the questions anybody has, but I know the, enough of the answers to help me get to where I'm at. And if it's good enough for you to get where you are, then what you know is good enough to help somebody else get from where they're at, at least to where you are. So I don't have to be afraid of those conversations, especially when they bring it up. She asked my spiritually disconnected neighbor across the street, asked us to start a Bible study for her friend in the hospital. It took me four months to start that Bible study because what religious weirdo starts a Bible study in their house and has people over? I didn't want to do that any more than you did. I mean, it's not like that was an agenda of my life to start a cult in my living room. I mean, it's not, but I, I mean, I, I was afraid other neighbors would think I was doing that, right? But it doesn't. But all authority in heaven and on earth is given to Jesus. And this is just the next step. And dang it, I'm going to take it. Why? Because if Jesus can tell the disciples to walk all the way to a mountain in Galilee, I can walk across Zebra Street. I can do that. And so can you. Brings me to the next thing. That Jesus invites you to play a part in his mission. He gives us the chance to play a part in his rescue mission in the world, which is awesome. He gives us the chance to do that. Matthew chapter 28, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this go and make disciples, this go, it's not like a, so you better go out there and do it. Because the way that it's written in Greek, and, and, and I, don't, I don't speak, and by the way, it's, it's an ADD kicking in again. It doesn't matter. The, 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 the way that it's written here, it's, it's a, like a, it's, yes, it's a command, but it's also an encouragement is what it is. It's not like a do this or else. It's a do this because you can do this. That, that's what this is. So uh, I used to coach Little League Baseball. Now, I didn't grow up playing baseball, but I bought three Cal Ripken DVDs on coaching baseball that, sorry, that's the ADD again. Don't need to talk about Cal Ripken DVDs. Uh, coaching baseball. And uh, Garrett, when I was an assistant coach, Jack Rake told me that he was going to start Garrett as a pitcher on Saturday. And uh, Garrett, Garrett, I uh, thought, was going to be really nervous about it. And so when it was time for him to go out there, he's, you know, he comes over to me. And what I tell him is I, I did what Jesus did. I, I, um, I left him and ascended into heaven. No, just kidding. I, <laughs> I said, go, go out, go, buddy, go. You, you got this. That's what I told him. I, said, I told him to go out there and, and go do it. And, and for me, I didn't care. By the way, his first nine pitches, like all nine of those pitches were strikes. He struck out the first three batters in nine pitches is what Garrett did. Now, that's not, he didn't keep doing that. 
otherwise we'd be asking for his autograph and he'd be a pro and he'd be my retirement plan. But like the best inning he ever pitched was the first inning he ever pitched. But for me, I didn't care if he struck out anybody else. You know what I wanted him to do? I just wanted him to throw the stinking ball. Just, just throw. Just try. You can do this. What I didn't want him to do was walk out on the mound and then quit and walk off of it in the middle of the inning. I didn't want him to do that. I just, it doesn't matter if they strike out. It doesn't matter if they hit it. And it doesn't matter if you walk them. It doesn't matter. All I want you to do is get up there and do your best. I'm your dad. Buddy, you got this. Just, just go. You got it. You go. I, I'm cheering for you. That's the spirit behind Jesus telling his disciples, fellas, I'm leaving now. You go, go. You need to go do this. Trust me. And they were all afraid because when Jesus was arrested in the garden, they scattered like cockroaches when you turn on the light in the kitchen. In the south, you guys, we don't know what cockroaches are up here. If you've ever been to Florida, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Right? We just scatter. They scattered. They were, they, were, they were scaredy cats. None of them were preachers. They'd all failed out of Hebrew school or else they would have become rabbis themselves. Like they had flunked out of religion. And Jesus drafted them. Spent three years with them and said, just go be nice to people and love them and wait for opportunities and, and actually eat with them. And have them over for barbecues. And don't just invite religious people to your Super Bowl parties. Invite your friends that need religion to your Super Bowl parties. And go to their Super Bowl parties. Even if they start drinking. And if you struggle with alcohol, definitely don't drink with them. Right? Like you need to know your own boundaries. But we don't avoid everybody who don't have boundaries. Because they need the Jesus who's changed us. That's what they need. In John chapter 20, verse 21, this is Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, uh, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. That's what's cool. Is that all authority has been given in heaven and on earth to Jesus. And Jesus says, and just like God the Father sent me into the world to bring rescue, I'm sending you into the world to bring rescue. You might not know everything, but you're an expert on your story. Just share that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And then God has given us the task of what? Reconciling other people to him. If, if, if you've committed to faith in Jesus, somebody else is involved in that story, aren't they? Somebody else invited you, somebody else told you. Somebody, for, for Pastor Ken, he was talking about Sunday school teachers. All of these different people played a part. What if God intends you to play a part in somebody else's spiritual story? It's not what if. Because I know he wouldn't have saved you from your sin unless he intended to use you in somebody else's story of rescue from sin. You just didn't know that that's why he drafted you on his team. And the last thing is, you're not alone. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that line, even to the end of the age, according to all, and this is throughout history. You can look it up yourself. Theologians throughout history have always said that that phrase, even to the end of the age, was an inference on Jesus' part that his promise to be with them extended beyond just them, but would also include everybody who turned to faith in Jesus because of them. This includes me. This includes you. This is where the confidence comes from. 
is that I know that it's a God job, not a Sean job, when the opportunity comes because God has given, God, Jesus, God has, the Father has given God the Son, Jesus, all authority in heaven and on earth. God has, Jesus has the authority to soften people's hearts, to put the idea of religion in somebody's mind so that they will want to talk to somebody. And if I'm the Christian that they're most comfortable being around, I'm going to be the person that God's Holy Spirit points them to. And then I have the opportunity and privilege to give them the same reconciliation to God that my Sunday school teacher, that my mom and dad, that my youth pastor, Dan Jeffers, who lives in St. Pete, brought to me. I get to be Dan Jeffers to people. And you don't know Dan Jeffers, but I wouldn't be following Jesus today without Dan Jeffers. Like, God's plan is for all of eternity... For people to walk up to you and go, you were my Dan Jeffers. You were the person, if you hadn't have invited me, if you hadn't have been praying for me for three years. After the teaching last night, I had a girl, Heather, she works in the kids' ministry. Last week, uh, 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 Jay Cross asked you guys to write down the names of two of your friends that were spiritually disconnected from God and just start praying for them. That Sunday afternoon, one of those friends called Heather. And said, I feel like my family needs to get back into church. Where do you go to church? I want to go on Easter. Like, why did that happen? Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Dang it. And Heather volunteered. That's all God's looking for. Nobody here has to be a spiritual rock star. You just got to volunteer. That's it. You just have to say to the coach, coach, put me in. And he's just crazy enough to let you have the ball when you get in. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 5, uh, the second half of the verse and verse 6 says, For God has said, I will never fail you, I will never abandon you, so we can say with confidence that the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? The ones who actually see the work of God and the, are the ones who participate in the work of God. Some of you guys have been Christians forever, and you've never actually seen God do crazy stuff in your life. Because you've never been involved in the work of God with your life. You thought your faith was all about you. And as long as that's the way you're living your life, you're not going to see God show up a whole lot. You want to see God start doing miracle stories in your life? Start doing the kind of stuff that God does miracles for. Right? And I, I say this to the glory of God. But when you live this way, just stinking try. Start intentionally making time to include people in your life outside of work. Outside of just hello and goodbye when you're getting in your car and you're driving out of your driveway. Just make an effort to get close to people who are spiritually disconnected from God. And watch if God won't give you the same kind of stories. But Glenn and Tiffany, devoted followers of Jesus and baptized here at Grace Church. They're across the street. Behind us, Bim and Mary, saved and baptized at Grace Church. Caddy Corner behind us. Carlos and Michelle, saved and baptized at Grace Church. And Carlos is on our church's board. Across the street, three doors down, Dave and Michelle Massarelli, some of our closest friends, saved and baptized at Grace Church. Across the street, next door was Savannah, saved and baptized at Grace Church. Some of you guys remember Savannah. Across the street, next door, they're from Lebanon, so I need to learn to speak Lebanese. And then I should be careful talking about anybody else on our street. I'm just saying, when I moved to Seaver Street, I moved there because it was the only house under 300,000 
that didn't smell like cat pee. <laughs> we thought God would have us start a church in a city. And when we couldn't afford a house in Boston city limits, we gave up on never starting a church. And I felt like God wasn't with me. And then when I lost my job at the college, when my contract wasn't renewed, I thought God wasn't with me. And all he was doing was cleaning my schedule so I could spend 100% of my time pastoring. I'm just saying, every bad thing that's ever happened, you thought God wasn't with you. Every weird thing that you've ever questioned, you felt like God wasn't with you. Behold, I am with you. I'm doing something. Get off the freaking bench and call for the ball. I promise I'll throw it to you. Right? Just try. It's the whole point of your salvation is the inclusion of all of those that you love and care about, you live near, that need that same salvation. Let's pray. God, I love you with all of my heart. I thank you for my Sunday school teachers that taught me about Jochebed, the mother of Moses, and Mephibosheth, the crippled son of Jonathan, and all of those other awesome stories I grew up with that became the foundation on which my faith today sits. I pray your blessings on every one of our Sunday school teachers and Grace Kids workers today also. Thank you, God, for their service, not just to you, but to us, our family, and to our children. I'm thankful for the youth pastors, the youth counselors. I'm thankful for Brad Malik. Steve Jones, Burt Parker, Taylor Knopf, Shanika Polk, Lindsay, all of the people that have helped shape my children's faith. God, I'm thankful for every person in this room who's a person of faith and for every one of their Burt and Lindsay's, for every one of their Dan Jeffers and Pam and all of the people that were a part of their story of coming to faith. God, I pray that the phenomenal opportunity that you've given us to become a part of somebody else's story of faith sits on us and our heart and that we start looking for those opportunities. God, I pray that the prayer we'd be making right now in our seat is that you would use us to help somebody else find their way back to you. God, I pray that rather than hiding from the broken people at work, hiding from the broken people on our street, the broken people in our family, we would be drawn to them because those are the people you would be drawn to if you were living our lives in our place. Help us to bless others, to love others, to serve others, to give. God, help us to be you in their lives, and then God, give us an opportunity to share you with our lives. God, every one of us have two or three friends that are spiritually disconnected, and I pray that you would give us the courage because all authority has been given to you in heaven and on earth. You're going to create an opportunity for this to happen. And I trust that. And when that opportunity comes, you've created me for this moment. And you are with me in that moment. So I'm going to give you the chance. If you would please pray for two or three of your friends who are spiritually disconnected. Would you pray for them? For God to bless them. For God to draw them to faith in Jesus also. And would you volunteer? Tell God, I'm willing. If you give me the chance. I won't be afraid of it. I'll say something. I'll ask them how they're doing. I'll ask them if I can pray for them on my own time. Can you say something like that? Maybe you're spiritually disconnected from God. And maybe this morning you feel 
like God's asking you to get in his boat. And he's telling you to come let go of that. Let go of your nets. Let go of your sin. Walk away from that. Would you follow me with the rest of your life? Would you go all in? Jesus, I accept your death, burial, and resurrection is the only thing that pays off my sin. And if you'll forgive me, God, I'll give you the rest of my life. Can you make that your prayer? God, I am all in. Save me from my sin and make me yours. God, I pray that you hear, listen to the prayers of our heart and that you would use us to be a blessing to others. This is our prayer. We ask this in Jesus' name. And we all say together, amen.